growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. Hey everybody, welcome to The Cheat Code. I'm Josh Wagner with me. Well, as always, Justin, you had a different host yesterday, didn't you yesterday? Yeah, you, you ditched me. We did. Like four podcasts into the series, we had to call in a sub. So uh, Sean did yesterday's. Josh is back for this episode. Yeah, back. I'm, I'm sobered up from my Mexico trip, which is why uh, Sean had to sub in. So, But neither of us are that important. We've got uh, the legendary Teddy P, Ted Purcell, with us today who Justin and I had the pleasure of collaborating with at, what, three of your stops? Clarizen, Marketo, Helium. Did I get them all? You did well. You, so far, yes. You know, so I, far. <laughs> we never worked at SAP together, unfortunately. You got, never think got so. into that area. But now that you guys are off in the venture world, who knows what opportunity where we could actually buddy. Yeah. We could venture all over the place. You never know. Which is probably what's going to happen on this show. Name it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Ted, thanks for joining the show. We're super pumped to have you. Feelings mutual, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's already a very, I just want to say, it's already a very Ted Purcell Zen environment here with that painting in the background. Like, I, I feel at ease. I feel like, you know, I could, I could, I'm going to transcend this whole podcast. Well, I'm glad it's a Jedi mind trick intent. So I'm glad it worked on you. Note to self that it actually works because that is the idea. This this painting is of my favorite place on the North Shore of Kauai. And um, my wife told me it, it didn't go any place in the house. And so it was making its way to the garage, the only room in the house that's really mine anymore anyways. And and I was like, well, wait a second. I, I want to look at it. And when the Zoom world hit, I put it there because quite frankly, I'm looking at Zoom. I could see... Cut, so I get to see it actually more than than I would otherwise. So that's awesome. hopefully you enjoy it. I do. Well, I love that you have one small space in your house that you actually oh. use, which is similar. I'm huddled in a small quarter in front of a door in my <laughs> room, which is like part gym, part office, like part man cave. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Yes. So uh, speaking of cheat codes, the name of the show. I assume the biggest cheat code in going to market is doing commercials, skateboarding through the city. That's got to be like the number one advice you would give to anybody would be my assumption. Yeah, absolutely not, actually. Absolutely not. But whatever your lifestyle takes you, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't so since we're bringing up old stories, I, I wanted to do this while we were recording, Ted, because you've got to tell the story. Number one, I think you kind of validated the other day that there's some truth to it, but I'm sure I don't have all the details, so. Just to fill everyone else in, like when I first met Ted many, many years ago, um, the intro that came my way was that, you know, Ted obviously worked at SAP for a, a long time, but actually carried a bag and was a seller over there. Um, and the way I heard it was that you used to stroll into the office once a quarter, plop down like an eight, nine figure contract on on the desk and head back out uh, to the shores, you know, to the to the mountains whatever you know ted does in his free time which is always outdoors uh so like what's the actual story on this thing because we, we got to get to the bottom of it well this this is an ongoing this is that's an exaggeration to to say the very least 
That's amazing. If you heard that from somebody, that sounds so sweet. It's a great intro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in my dreams, I Sign me out. exactly what I did. That would be amazing. I, in fact, I, I may actually try to tell my kids that that's what I do because that would be sweet. Um, no, you know, I, 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 I think that my mindset has always been to optimize my lifestyle. And that just is what my commitment was to myself at an early age. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're all chasing, it depends on what your priorities are in your life. I, I had a life-changing event that happened um, in losing my, my, my dad in um, um, an outdoor, well, it was, I lost him in an avalanche when we were skiing together. And it was a traumatic event, it was a heavy event. And it was, I was in the, my late 20s when it happened. So I was already a young man. Um, and, you know, at that point in my late 20s, I was starting to learn what it's like, you know, me as a father now that has a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old, what it's like to have a relationship with your with your dad um, at that age. And especially when you're starting to look at the way that your your you know, people in your life that are important to you, mentors, in this case, my dad, what his professional lifestyle was all about, what his career was all about, how he looked managing his career. I mean, when I was a kid, I was too busy breaking the law. Well, I wasn't that that's also an exaggeration. Allegedly. I'm, I'm too much of a lightweight to break the law. Anyways, but you know, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what would give me, you know, starting to become more curious. I think as I've gotten older, I've become more curious. Um, I I think the three most important human characteristics are 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 humility, passion, and intellectual curiosity. And I think at a younger, younger age, I was less curious, quite frankly. And I just kind of was doing my thing. All of a sudden I went through this life-changing event with my dad during that time when I was going through the evolution of my early stage of my career, jumping into high tech, largely out of college. I started a, um, a, 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 a tie manufacturer, clothing manufacturer with a friend of mine out of college um, and, you know, we got it bootstrapped and kind of got it off the ground a little bit and sold to some tier one retailers, but the, uh, in, you know, had a little bit of a business going, very small business, manufacturing business, trying to manufacture suits, ties, and shirts that were in in the late fifties and early sixties, but make clothing manufacturing design wasn't my true calling. And so I jumped over into high tech. This is back in, you know, probably the mid nineties or so. And what career meant to me, how I was evolving, looking at my dad and his professional career and how I was looking at what my future was going to be all about. And then having that traumatic event happen, which shocked me in every way, shape or form, shocked my whole family, obviously. Um, and then brought me to, to, to be like more aware of my brand, my aspirations and career in lifestyle in what was important to me all those kinds of things all coming together in a melting pot to try to then figure out you know what did I want to do and how was I going to go about it and then not too long after that meeting who is now my wife of over about 20 years um you know then thinking about a family and how that evolves into your career in and all of this 
lifestyle has always been important to me. Being in the mountains and the ocean has always been important to me. And I felt like it made the best version of me. And to your point, no, I was not picking up, you know, eight figure deals, you know, once a quarter rolling into the office and then heading back and, and, and surfing or heading into the mountains. But if, if, it, if it looked that easy, then it reminds me the age old adage of walk, walk, watching ducks glide upon a glassy pond and all you see is elegance and grace above the water, but underneath they're going crazy and trying to make it happen. I think that's probably more accurate of what I was up to, but I appreciate that brand. Anyways, I'm happy to talk about this is a longer conversation. Kind of all of a sudden I wove my way into my dad and my career and how I look at things. So if you guys want to talk about that, I'm happy to. I don't know how I brought that up, but I did. No, that's great. I think, you know, so the transition there, right? Like having I think that's a great North Star and and you know Certainly, as people are approaching their careers, uh, you know, so oftentimes it takes something like that to to create some intentionality in, in people's lives, right? As you're thinking about, you know, what you are bringing to your role as, you know, a bag carrying sales rep versus, you know, your your day to day right now, right? Like CRO, running teams, running entire go to market teams, certainly building teams of sales professionals um, that, in order to win especially in this environment, have to be doing something highly intentional, have to be running a process. You know, I guess two questions there. What do you look for, you know, in great AEs, great sales reps? And number two, how do you bring them together around that kind of concept of intentionality? First of all, I've never heard the word intentionality before, but I use it like 50 times a day. (laughs) You haven't been adjusted enough. This is intentionality. In note to self, because it sounds amazing, especially from you. Um, First of all, you know, what I look for in people, you know, that like we talked about, I was at SAP for about 10 years of my career. And at that point, this was more of a mature company. And I was an individual contributor for half of that time before I got inspired by leadership and went into that as a career path uh, in when you're at a company like SAP versus a company like now at Telium, we're around seven, 800 employees versus, you know, where we talked about, we previously worked together at a company like Marketo, which is a somewhere around 1500 employees at the point of which we then, um, um, transitioned it to Adobe. You know, these are all different and what you look for in people and the, the biggest thing for me at Telium is quite frankly, especially where we're at in an emerging new category where product market fit is going through an evolution, where total addressable market and ideal customer profile is constantly changing. Your background is very, very important and experience is very, very important. In the last 15 years of this industry, which is largely the emergence of industry-based or purpose-built SaaS applications, for lack of a better term, but moving from, you know, selling IP that was largely in its former delivery format to to on to on-premise largely to, you know, cloud-based delivery solutions. You know, this market has been hot in 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 just because because you didn't have experience didn't matter. It was almost mm-hmm. like what was your intentionality? What was your 
we, you know, did you have moxie? Did you have a level of aggression and show, did you interview well? Did you, did you have great references? All these things matter. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, we're in a, in a category right now where it's highly consultative, um, where being a trusted advisor is really, really important, if not the most important thing. It's like almost the opposite of what the product-led growth SaaS-based category really taught us. And I feel like there's a lot of my peers are going through the same thing right now. It's the evolution of what it means to offer consultative services to, to a customer to help them get clarity on what they should buy, why they should buy it, when they should buy it, all that kind of stuff that goes into a go-to-market process. This is, man, it's changing at light speed right now. And I actually am finding it's going back to the almost the old school. Um, don't get me wrong. Relationship selling. Say it again. Relationship selling. Relationship selling. Relationship selling. And it largely had gone away for systematic process-oriented selling, largely defining what your process is, defining opportunity definitions, it, progressing things through a, a customer engagement lifecycle, both pre and post-sale, templatizing things through playbooks. I mean, this whole modern SaaS go-to-market, everything that it taught us, it don't get me wrong, it's an important foundation and you have to be able to, fa to, to rely upon that and fall back upon that, especially as you're working to scale. Scale is a relative term, but even, you know, that scale now is it, you know, a $20 million company, a 50, 100, 200, $500 million company, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not yeah, revenue-based companies. Um, all of these things are, are evolving, but relationship selling and what you go through and your EQ around consultatively building relationships based on trust where people are still engaging beyond the 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 individual interaction in in almost you know trusting what a seller or a cs professional is saying to a buyer or a customer and taking that at face value or taking that taking it into a context but doing a lot of the due diligence beyond that interaction through research and referencing and talking to analysts, whatever it is, the, the reality is relationship selling to me is coming back. And in a lot of companies, depending upon your scale, of course, and you know, at a company like SAP, which is, or Salesforce or ServiceNow or Oracle or Adobe or whomever it is, you know, you're trying to do more with less and you have a finite amount of territory, amount of revenue under management, amount of customers, whatever it may be, because as you scale, you're trying to do more and more with, with what you have um, and what, what you have available to you. Uh, and so th this is what I see the biggest change in happening right now in you know the middle of 2023. Every quarter is, is a real challenge right now. There's not a host of people lining up to, to, you know, say I'm really in the market for buying some more enterprise software. Um, this is, so for me, going back to your original question, looking for the types of people that are important right now, background and experience is really important to me 
first and foremost, because depending upon the role and responsibility as a revenue leader and responsibility for sales and customer success and partner teams and marketing teams and all these things that support the customer journey, you know, being consultative in your approach is coming back get again, consultative, trusted advisor selling, platform-based selling, where there may be multiple products and multiple use cases, but the customer journey has lots of variances across those elements, use cases and products, or number of influencers or champions or executive sponsors inside of an organization. This is this background is becoming really, really important. And the time it takes to get up to speed to be enabled and to learn not just a category, but an ideal customer profile. We all know that we used to previously work in the commercial business together at Marketo, which was the bulk of that business. And many of the people that we work with have gone on to enterprise selling motions and you all, you get promoted, you take on more responsibility, you get more experience. But, you know, that was also built on the backs of a lot of demand satisfaction based selling, which is largely what product led growth businesses proliferate, right? You're creating awareness. It's easy to, it's easy to trial. It's easy to get to use it and get to know the product to implement it. And you start to gain more consultative, trusted advisor selling chops by proliferating that enterprise wide. So, uh, you know, the people that are now in these enterprise sales positions are largely relatively new to enterprise selling as well. And so what does it mean to teach that consultative go-to-market approach on top of all those other levers? Man, it's just so many challenges that are going through the hiring life cycle and what I look for in people. But background is really important. And for me, credibility in in how you come across you know your moxie your your ability to be trusted you know not only in person but remotely is really really important and then like i said i'm really looking for people that are curious passionate and humble because i feel like that's a people that share those human characteristics are usually consultative in their approach and how they sell and support things yeah i said something to start off with that, but I think it's so critical. Like, I absolutely agree that that relationship selling is, is you know, not not becoming a trend. Like, it, it, it is the way that deals are getting done these days, right? I think the only reason that we shied away from that a bit, like, you have to consider what was going on 10, 15 years ago. And obviously, like, you've lived, you know, through multiple different phases of, of kind of this... Um, uh, digitization of the buyer, right? Like strangely, like when all that demand gen and process and, you know, insight and all these different tools were coming up, the internet was really becoming mature at that point. So it's not, you know, the, the first mover always gets an advantage there. And so, you know, yeah, suddenly people are marketing online. We're sending email. People are opening those emails. They're they're excited to get our information. Like now you've just seen that fatigue really start to, to overtake everyone because everyone's doing the same thing. And so now it's really coming back to those fundamentals because that's what's going to allow you to differentiate at this point because everyone has all the tools they need. Everyone, for the most part, has the same data, right? But at the end of the day, it's the human on the other end of that you know, computer, phone, whatever you want to call it, 
um, that, that is really making that, that cycle stand out. Totally. Yeah. And you were circling around something that I like to call seller market fit, right? Like everything that you were really describing kind of fits into that singular statement. Well, I could be missing some things, but the idea is the industry, right? Like wh what industry do you have the experience, the chops, the moxie, like you said, where do you know it? How do you know what those people were thinking, lived it, that type of thing? That's super important. What stage of company, like you said, SAP and Marketo are not the same stage of company even when you were there, right? Like selling at a multi-billion dollar company is different than selling at a couple hundred million dollar company and selling at a zero to $20 million company is different than selling to a hundred to 150 million. There are so many differences and subtle nuances to those things that people don't realize. So like your intentionality was lifestyle, right? If you want to live a good lifestyle and be selling somewhere where it matters, go find where you fit perfectly because you're going to have to work less to make more money. Like bottom line, like I couldn't go sell an SAP. I'm not structured enough. I don't have the big company. Like I, it doesn't work. I couldn't do it. Right. But a young company where you get to be a cowboy and kind of do it your own way and do a lot of the stuff you were talking about, like, you know, knowing your space, being a consultant, listen, you want to learn how to be a consultant self-services for 10 years. Like there's no, there's no amount of inputs and outputs that will just make deals happen. Like it just, it just, it doesn't work that way. So like, I think there's just a lot of self-awareness needed in the space in general, especially when times are tougher to figure out where you fit, where you're going to win and how you can be the best version of yourself to win because it's, it's hard enough as it is to go aspirationally say, oh, I should be selling at Google and doing $100 million deals. Well, if, if you haven't done it, it's pretty fucking hard. Yeah, and if, the, and if the category, I mean, every category is different and people, they're doing those kind of deals at places like, you know, Amazon and whatnot. Sure. The, the, it's kind of like, you know, would you, when I was thinking about going into a career of sales, you know, it, you know, it's almost like, do you want to be an arms dealer? Do you want to go sell like military defense infrastructure and do right. multi-billion dollar deals? <laughs> or are you going to go sell, you know, cell phones down at the AT&T store to get your start? I mean, literally when I was at Marketo, once we were owned by Vista, Vista as a, as a, as a private equity business is very famous for, um, for hiring up high potential future employees, coaching, hiring and coaching up high potential future employees that have very little experience selling tech and literally going into AT&T stores and say, you know, we'll give you a job as an SDR, promote you to an, a, a commercial seller, a small medium business seller, promote you through the life cycle. But, you know, back to your point, it's just the question is what you're, what, what do you want to do? Like, I, I always looked at like, I don't care what it is that you do. Like, it, you know, in, in my leadership background, I was an individual contributor for a long period of time and I loved it. And I really don't care if you are in leadership or if you're an amazing individual or an individual contributor, as long as you're amazing at it and you love it and you have passion, humility, and curiosity at being amazing at it. Um, because it, it's having, one thing SAP taught me when I was there, I had 50, 55 year old AEs when I was there in my, you know, early thirties and who could go in and sell to the board of Intel in Microsoft with the best of them. Um, so th this concept of being um, an individual contributor versus a leader, not just talking about the companies and the phases that we're at WAGs, like you were talking about, but 
I've always looked at it like as long as you want to be the best at what you do, it's all good. Don't rush to be promoted to, as if you're an SDR. Don't be like, okay, well, I'm going to go and be an SDR leader because I think I need to be promoted. Or if you're an SDR promoted to an AE, then I want to be a commercial manager. Like to me, experience at different phases of companies, even to your point, Wags, you're like, I don't think I could work well at a large company like a Salesforce or an SAP or Oracle at that size and scale. Well, in order to be a, a really um, valuable leader of in coach of people, frankly, the more experience and diversified set of experiences that you have, the better. And it enables you to be in a in a position to add more value to, you know, like I was mentioning, older, way more experienced whale hunters, for lack of a better term, or newer in their career volume and velocity sellers that are looking to get more experience. So to me, you know, this leadership business in companies of different phases, you know, it's obviously the fit with the right team, but over a, a, a period of time, you start to realize like early stage startups are amazing. They're challenging as well. Mm -hmm. But I have to say large companies are awesome too. I mean, it just is a matter of do you have, you know, what are you looking for that, that at, look, what are you looking for at that moment in your career? What's the best fit for you given where you're at? Because even, you know, many of us have challenges around with our own immediate personal lives where we don't quite frankly have the luxury to, to go to a smaller company and bet on on equity becoming worth something at a latter stage, we need to solve for the right here and now. And just challenging personal environments that we all operate amongst with rising interest rates in challenging um, macroeconomic environment around how, especially in tech and how people value tech companies and what that means. Like there's no right or wrong answer, quite frankly. It's what ma what what is relevant for you at that given moment in time. And so, you know, all these things come into my mind when I'm thinking about hiring people, recruiting people, and thinking about my own mindset, quite frankly, in my own career. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, Josh, go ahead. I'll just say, I think that self-awareness is, is amazing. And then, you know, people, not enough people have it, right? Like it's just the shiny object. And like you said, there could be a million things going on in your life that other person sitting on the other side of you is like, like, how do you have a little bit of self-awareness to say, this is where I can be happy and win right now. Strip away all the bullshit, right? Totally, man. Or let alone how to optimize within your own team. Like we never know what our coworkers are going through or what they're up against or good or bad. And we just kind of, you know, it goes back to that consultative trust-based selling mindset, like respecting people that you're selling to, that you're partnering with, or that you're working with time and mindset to get the best out of them, to create the best outcome for them and for yourself. Cause you know, quite frankly, people know when you're wasting time for yourself or them. Yeah. I'm curious. So, you know, speaking from that leadership angle, like how would you describe, you know, your style as a leader? Yeah. Well, um, I try to be have a host based mentality. So I learned to explain that. 
So the host face mentality for me is, is literally the same as when you'd walk into your favorite restaurant in the mindset that ideally your favorite restaurant has in hosting you or the way that you would come into a restaurant, the way that a server or a host or a hostess welcomes you ideally by your name, takes you to a table, hands you off to another individual or that individual is in context, ideally knowing your name welcome you, making you feel at home and um, going through a host-based experience where you as an employee feel as though there's people that are there to welcome you and host you just like they would in your favorite restaurant or in your own home. And this enablement-based mindset in hosting people, whether it's partners, employees, or customers, all the same, like I look at them at all the same. There's no you don't change your 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 way you go about things for for any one of those. It's all the same. But that that host based mentality to me is the backbone of my leadership philosophy because I believe it builds the best teams and it builds the most high performing teams. I believe that in this era where that we're amongst right now, where accountability is a challenge, either for people's sensitivities of their willingness to be open and curious to accountability or defensive, depending upon how you look at it. The challenges all over the place, especially that remote-driven world is created. It's crazy right now. Remote-driven world has made this a real challenge for sure. Sure. Um, but this is this is the backbone of my philosophy, the host-based mentality um, in how you look at customers, partners, and employees the same way. Yeah. So like, if you take that a step further, like, as I think about what those experiences look and feel like, right? Like you're going to know when someone needs a salt, you know, to keep the analogy going, a salmonier or when they need to speak to, you know, the waiter again and so on. And like, when you're, when you're trying to create relationship-based sellers, consultative sellers, and, and you're bringing someone in that may not have the deepest background within that space, which frankly, you need, you know, in selling in today's environment, like you need like deep, not only product knowledge, but business knowledge. Like what are these people using, you know, this solution to accomplish? What are their challenges? You know, for seeing those and, and really to your point that I think you, you almost opened with is like helping them define the problem as much as they're defining the solution to that problem. That's how you're going to build trust. But like my thoughts are like that can't happen in one singular leader. Like you need to be able to like get people to the resources that they need that are, that are going to fill those specific holes and, and, and get a, get them up to the point where, all right, like now they're a fully well-rounded AE or CSM or, you know, whatever their role happens to be. So I think that kind of blocking and tackling and, and, and routing of intelligence and, and even relationships with it within the organization is, is just so critical. Totally agree. Well, what have you found to be the biggest challenges in trying to, you know, to, to, to make just that out of someone, you know, everyone's got their good raw materials, but, you know, getting them to a consultative selling professional, like that's, that, that that's a journey. It can be a journey. I think personal characteristics are really important. You know, are you curious by nature and, you know, just it always helps in consultative selling. We would talk about sales methodologies, you know, every, you know, whether you're, whatever your sales methodology may be, you know, I happen to um, right now believe in values, the value selling methodology. 
Um, not just because I believe that people invest based on outcomes and potential value to be realized, but I it's rooted in in the customer's context and the customer's problems. And so you're driven towards asking questions and to understand um, not just that you're selling to anybody, but who you're selling to, what their challenges are, what their not just requirements are, but what the state of their business is that you're trying to fit your technical solution or services into to solve a business problem. And it teaches you to listen and it drives you to put the right content in the right context in front of the right people at the right time. You know, Ted, as we're talking about, you know, kind of this relearned return to relationship selling and, you know, how critical just that in you know the, you mentioned the host base mentality and how critical it is to understand someone's world their business you know uh, the challenges that they're going through but at the same time we have to build sales teams right like we, we we've got to build and scale groups of individuals that could do this how do you go about doing that how do you go about like training and enabling a team of folks that um may not have all of the experienced as as a, uh, experiences as other sellers well that is a challenge for sure man it, it's you know, I would say hiring the right people is always key, no matter what, obviously, what size, what, no matter what size company you are. Um, obviously, the, the as we transition into the next phase of what B2B selling is all about, you're looking for people that have that same, you know, that that mindset around a host-based mentality, that, that, that level of curiosity in people and in relationships. Um, and that hunger and eagerness and that moxie to go get shit done, quite frankly. And so to me, it just comes back to finding the right people in that dry, that have that authenticity and that sincerity that are prone to relationship-based selling. And how do you, how do you invest in it? How do you enable it? How do you drive it? Like this is something, quite frankly, I feel like you have or you don't have. And secondly, if you, if you're just not as exposed to it and haven't been mentored by it or haven't been in an environment where you've seen it, over time, hopefully, you're setting the example and constantly communicating about it, communicating about it early and often. You know, sort of the classic um, Bill McDermott, um, the CEO of ServiceNow. Now, formerly, I work at SAP, he's the king of staying on point, on message and talking about things early and often and consistently and bringing this up and talking about relationship oriented selling, consultative based selling and trying to build a culture around authenticity, sincerity and, and curiosity. This is, this is, this is the big challenge and the big opportunity in my opinion. So, you know, as we get from that data-driven B2B selling world that we've been in the last handful of years or so, um, embracing that, of course, and bringing it back to augmenting that with relationship-based selling, I, this is, this, this is the key, but we're constantly enabling around it because it's such a challenge to, to do so, um, in a consultative sales context. Yeah, I think that's what you bring up there is so critical. Like I find that to be successful and to create an environment that really fosters this, like you do need like that steward or that barred individual who's like seen it work really well and is able to to create that ultimate vision and and really kind of set the the bar of excellence there. So given that, 
you know, obviously there's always a ton of change in, in B2B sales. There's always a, a next big thing. Any any big predictions or, or ideas on where things go next? <laughs> Man, I, I, I wish I did have a, a crystal ball. Man, I, I mean, like I was just saying, I do think that the combination of data-driven sales, data-driven selling combined with consultative, trusted advisor-based, you know, selling. Um, I don't know if that's actually a term. It's kind of like, what's that? It is now. It is now. Don't it? It's kind of like that one term you brought up. What was it? Um, intentionality. Intentionality. You so much wags. Intentionality. Um, anyways, that, the combination of both is, to me, where it's headed. And I, I don't, I just feel like this, this mindset has always been in sales. When I was a kid and you see selling at every aspect of our lives, people that are authentic and sincere, people that respect the institution of relationships that show maximum respect to people's time to one another who sincerely listen and, and ask questions about the context that someone else I, again I, I we talked about this earlier about treating customers partners and employees the same like that level of authenticity and sincerity across all of that brings out to me the best in a culture because people customers especially they see that they feel that they want to do business with people that they that they trust at the end of the day and so to me because we've been in such this volume and velocity based, especially in product led growers, but this volume and velocity mindset where you've got a very templatizable based process. People are coming in, they're they're at a certain sales stage or opportunity stage or nurture stage, however you want however you're looking at that point. Um and they're going through a a qualification stage, a discovery stage, a demo stage, and a scope and an SOW and a pricing discussion, and it's ready to close. It's almost like there is always a next step in that kind of demand satisfaction, product-led, volume velocity-based go-to-market motion that we've been in and for so much time now in Typically, the, that kind of a conversation, when somebody's coming to us educated about the context of the category they're evaluating or thinking about purchasing a product like yours, they go through that process. And what I've found is sellers that grow up in that kind of environment really are challenged with how do we drive a next step when in old school consultative relationship-based selling, Oftentimes there is no specific next step and you're trying to work through that and you're trying to create value. And that's my point about that consultative mindset, creating trust with customers and with partners and with the other teammates that are involved in this, in these sell cycles, combining the best of those, both, both of those worlds. I don't want to say that that's the big idea necessarily because there's plenty of companies that do that or people that are good at that or do that. But I just, I feel like that is really where we're headed because we just see that customers really, all the data shows us and all of the, the industry information has been trending towards people don't want to talk to salespeople. It's almost like there's a trust, a lack of trust factor there because of course, you're going to put whatever you're selling in the best possible light, which if you haven't earned that customer's trust yet, 
they don't know if it's in their best interest yet. It sounds great when we talk about it as sellers, but is it really in the customer's best interest? And that's why I think the combination of both that data-driven, process-driven sales with the consultative, trusted advisor relationship orientation to it is, that's where I feel like everything is going, even with my my son and his friends that um, are, you know, he's in college, so he's, he's now of that, of that age, but his friends that are going into the workplace, you can see the ones that think like this are the ones that are hitting the ground running and doing really, really well. Yeah, you know, I can tell you from experience and you being the audience that Ted's not just saying this stuff. Um, you know, several years ago, I had the opportunity to, I don't want to say work a deal with Ted. I was working a deal with one of the folks on his team. And we went to an on-site in Florida and Ted was the executive heavy brought in to, you know, to close the deal, so to speak. And I don't know how to describe it at the time, but when I heard you talk about the host mentality, that's what it was right like and when you talk about mirroring the type of behavior you want to see in the rest of the team that's what happened right like control host mentality really being value driven understanding who is in the room what they cared about what the opportunity was and at that point you know your team was selling in a commercial space that could be considered volume and velocity right but you, that behavior was being mirrored and shown to the folks in the room, including myself, right? Like, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I like to consider myself a consultative seller even at the time, but it was good to see it coming from the software side and good to seeing what that looks like. So for those of you listening, it's not just lip service. The guy wins it and breathes it. it it's really exciting to see. Um, so I guess we'll wrap up with this, Ted. We, we've talked a lot about a lot of things, your new favorite word, intentionality national curiosity, the host mentality, but what's the one cheat code, right? It's like uh, Billy Crystal in uh, City Slickers, right? We got to boil it down to one thing. What's Ted Purcell's cheat code? The cheat code is loving what you do and, and showing yourself and others that you interact with either professionally or personally, maximum respect. And those that have worked with me in the past know that I love this term. And it comes, I might as well tell the story. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny story to me it is. But I got the term maximum respect back in my early days. Um, I was probably in my twenties and I was at a reggae concert. I was at, I was at Bunny Whaler at the Berkeley community theater in the Bay area and was with my brother, one of my good buddies and his two brothers and this show was ridiculously good. It was as, you know, as promised as roots dance hall reggae as it can get. The environment was muddy and it was, you know, wafting with, with sense spirit of reggae spirit. Exactly right. People were having fun and getting down and grooving. And Buddy Whaler, who is a legend, he is like, you know, he was the founder of, of the Whalers with Bob Marley and is, is a legend full stop comes to the front of the stage he's got a band of like 20 people i mean he's, he's not like three or four piece band he's got backup singers he's got horns he's got all these sorts of instruments and percussionists and things going on he's standing on the front of the stage and he's looking at all of us and everyone in the crowd and everyone's smiling having the time of their life and he looks at us and he says maximum respect and i was sitting there going how in it was so amazing to 
feel that come from him where he's such a legend. You're like, oh my God, this guy's a rock star. He can do whatever he wants. But he was seeing how we appreciated him. We were his customers and he was showing us maximum respect. And to me, it taught me a lot. It's kind of that home space mentality mindset. It was just, you know, showing maximum respect to your profession and yourself and people around you. That's my cheat code. I don't think there's anything else to say. Jed, thanks for joining the show. Maximum respect. Love it. Thank you so much, Jed. It was great. All the best, you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for joining us again. Of course, you know, check us out online. Give us a nice little uh, like, follow, subscribe, all that jargon. And we'll see you again on the next episode.